Hello everyone, good afternoon, and welcome to an episode of Everyday Black History. I hope you all are enjoying your week. It's Thursday, December 17th. This month is going by nicely. Christmas and New Year's is around the corner, and 2021 will be here before you know it. So hopefully you're having a good week this week, and hopefully you have some, uh, you know, some some nice plans for the weekend. I mean, I don't know about where you are, but out here in New York, we got some snow, so we got to deal with that. So it'll be one of those kind of weekends, but at least it wasn't as much as they were projecting. So, you know, we, we dodged a bullet there, but I'm just happy so far that this week is going by and it's almost over and the weekend is here. And I hope you all enjoy your week as well. So today on Everyday Black History, we got a couple of brothers we're going to be looking at today. And when it comes to music, I mean, our contribution to music is, I mean, we can literally just do a podcast, you know, talking about uh, the Black American contribution to all genres of music. I mean, almost, pretty much every genre of music has has come from a genre that was started or popularized or innovated by a Black American. And so two people we're going to highlight today are, you know, people who aren't aren't like well known to the average person. And, um, you know, one brother was an inventor. He wasn't a musician, but he was an inventor. He, you know, um, actually uh, invented a type of guitar, not the not a uh, not the kind of electric or acoustic guitars that we have today, but he invented a type of guitar and, and it was patented back in the 1800s. That was kind of a model that was used for guitars of today. And the second brother we're going to highlight is a songwriter who wrote hits for pretty much every popular musician during the 1950s and 60s, all the way down to the 70s. So as I said, I mean, we, we all know our contribution to music and, and, and the musicians and producers and songwriters who contributed to it. And like I said, we can do a whole, we can do a, a stream of episodes just talking about that for months. So, but I just want to do an episode because I ran across these names and, you know, just realizing their, uh, you know, con- contributions to Black history and music was, was something that, you know, I just wanted to talk about on today's episode. So first we're going to talk about and highlight a brother by the name of Robert F. Fleming Jr. And Robert F. Fleming Jr. was an inventor. He was also a, um, a veteran of the American Civil War. Um, but he was also a music teacher as well, um, a guitar manufacturer. And as I mentioned, he invented a type of guitar uh, um, during his time that was used as, as a model for the guitars that are around today. But this is a little background information on him. He was born free in Baltimore, Maryland in July 1839. And his dad was a baker and his mom was a homemaker. Um, he was born in Maryland um, in 1839, July. But uh, in 19, uh, 19, 1850, excuse me, uh, the family moved to Cambridge, Massachusetts. And uh, him and his four siblings, uh, you know, they all grew up and came of age in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Um, after his dad died, his mother opened up a boarding house. And that was a way in which she fed and and uh, financially supported the family, um, while the oldest children was out. You know, you know, back in those days when you were a certain age, you had to go to work. So, you know, the the older kids, Robert, him, you know, being the oldest, and his uh, 
two older, um, younger but older siblings, they all went out to work and their mom, you know, worked at the boarding house and that's how they were able to financially sustain, uh, sustain themselves after his dad had died. Um, soon as an adult, he moved to New York City and he worked as a marble cutter. But then he enlisted in the United States Navy on May 14th, 1863, during the Civil War. And he uh, worked his way up in rank to uh, landsman. I don't know if that's a rank that's used in the Navy now, but it's the equivalent of the, of the current naval rating of seaman recruit. Um, and he was his first posting was on uh, the USS Wyoming. And the USS Wyoming was, uh, was a, a boat during the Civil War that was engaged. Um, against the Japanese Empire. You know, back then, Japan wasn't, as we know it now, um, you know, it was the Japanese Empire that they fought in the naval battle of uh, Shimonoseki on July of uh, 1863. So, um, you know, even though it was during the Civil War, you know, there's at this point in his naval career, he was fighting the Japanese as opposed to fighting the Confederate soldiers. So... Um, you know, that was, the, and I, honestly, I didn't even know that during this time that America was even fighting, you know, Japanese forces in the Civil War. But uh, after that, he was transferred to U the USS Housatonic. Um, and, and during this time in the Civil War, the, uh, those uh, ships were used to, um, it was part of a blockade of southern seaports that was referred to as the South Atlantic Blockading Squadron. And um, while he was on the USS House of Tonic, he saw action and um, there that ship was actually uh, blown out of the water. And it was because of his um, it was because of him. He actually saved the lives, the lives of many of his uh, crewmen. He noticed an object in the water uh, that didn't look right. And of course, when he told his officer, he alerted the officer uh, about, you know, what he saw. They just replied that it was probably a log. So with his quick thinking, he was able to go and warn others. And he realized that that log was moving at, against the tide and it was moving very fast. And he realized that it was a torpedo that was actually making its way approaching the ship. So because he alerted the crew, they were able to, and even though the boat was, you know, the, the, the torpedo hit the boat and the boat sank, um, him and his crewmen was able to hold on and, and um, and uh, wait, they were able to hang on because even though the ship had sank, a part of the ship was still above water. And so him and his crewmen were able to, to float on water and wait until help arrived. Even They waited for about 45 minutes until help arrived. But it was because of his quick thinking, his quick action, that he was able to save many of their lives on that ship. If he had just listened to the officer, they all would have been dead. Um, now, that same ship was actually destroyed or um, was actually completely destroyed uh, by a, um, uh, uh, a submarine called the H.L. Hunley. And that was uh, um, a Confederate States Navy ship. So the house of Sonic that, um, that uh, Robert was on was shot down by a Confederate ship, um, the H.L. Hunley. And uh, that was actually the, the, the boat that he was on was actually the, the first ship that was blown out of the water during the American Civil War. 
but um but that's just a little bit of background information on his life before he got on to his later career of being an inventor and a music teacher after his service in the civil war and um he was honorably discharged in June 1865, and he returned home to Massachusetts, and he lived and worked in Cambridge. Um, and then he went into business for himself as a guitar manufacturer and a music teacher. Now, he, as we mentioned before, he invented a guitar called the Euphonica, uh, and he believed that it would produce a louder and more resonant sound than a traditional guitar. You know, guitars have been around uh, for a while and guitars have actually been around in Africa in different countries in Africa. There have been, you know, types of guitars that we know of. And so he figured he created his own that he figured would be produce a louder, more resonant sound without requiring as much effort. And so he uh, applied for a patent for this invention and it was uh, granted on March 30th, 1886. And he also received a Canadian patent for this invention on April 5th, 1887. Um, and then he uh, went, you know, further went into business of him for himself by building and demonstrating his musical instruments from a storefront that he owned in, on, Washington, on Washington Street in Boston, Massachusetts. So this is what he did for the rest of his life, and as well as uh, teaching people how to play and, you know, the guitar as well as other musical instruments. He was able to go into business for himself and, you know, live a successful life out in uh, Boston, Massachusetts. Um, after 1900, he retired um, and he continued to give lessons and perform at various functions. So he continued to make a living for himself in teaching and performing. And um, he even composed a national funeral um, hymn in 1907 that he dedicated to the Grand Army of the Republic. Um, he uh, was a member of the Grand Army of the Republic, a, um, which was a fraternal organization that was composed of veterans of the Union Army and the Union Navy, uh, Navy the Marines, as well as um, uh, uh, other Union uh, armed forces that served in the American Civil War. And uh, uh, so that National Funeral Hymn was dedicated to that fraternal organization, the Grand Army of the Republic. But uh, he died in February of 1914 um, at the age of 79. Um, but, you know, um, he, you know, lived a long life. You know, this is during a time, you know, born in 1839, living to 1919. You know, he lived a long life during that time, you know. Um, times were different, you know, medicine wasn't advanced. And to live at, to live to 79, <laughs> you were doing very well. So um, we just wanted to highlight him because of uh, his invention, uh, the fact that his invention was used as a model for future guitar uh, inventors and that he received a patent for it and that he's been forgotten through history for his contribution to his invention of the of a guitar-like musical instrument so we just wanted to highlight him today on everyday black history and salute him uh robert fleming jr for his contribution to black history and black culture now the second brother who we're going to highlight is a brother by the name of otis blackwell and some of you may know Otis Blackwell, some may not. But Otis Blackwell was a singer, songwriter, pianist, and he was huge in influencing the early days of rock and roll. 
and he wrote hits for you know many many artists and one of the um artists that he wrote for he wrote for elvis and many of elvis biggest hits many of elvis biggest hits was was written by otis blackwell as well as another brother by the name of, of winfield scott and you know everybody you know you know music publications refer to elvis presley as the king and they call him the king of rock and roll but you know his biggest hits was was written by you know black people and his whole style was ripped from black people but uh that's a conversation for another day but otis blackwell wrote um some of elvis's biggest hits in the 1950s but a little bit a little bit of background information on him he was born february 16th 1931 in brooklyn new york my hometown brooklyn borough and uh, he learned to play the uh, piano as a child he grew up listening to r&b and country music um, and uh, he started young as far as you know, writing songs. And, and uh, his first success was winning a local talent contest at the Apollo Theater in uh, Harlem in 1952. And that led to a recording contract with RCA Records, as well as with another record label by the name of J.D. And uh, his first uh, release was a composition that he wrote, Daddy Rolling Stone, which, was a, which became a favorite in Jamaica. And it was recorded by a man by the name of Derek Martin. Um, the song also was recorded by the British band The Who. And it became a part of their mod repertoire. Now, he enjoyed some early recording and performing success, but he found that he loved to, you know, write the songs. He found that was his first love, songwriting. And by 1955, he settled into becoming a successful songwriter, and which is a career that he did for decades. Uh, his first success as a songwriter officially came in 1956 when he wrote the song Fever. And his version of Fever was first recorded as an R&B hit by a singer by the name of Little, Little Willie John. But uh, Peggy Lee recorded her own version, which became a huge pop success. And, you know, it's the same famous song, Fever. You know the song, you give me fever, doom, doom. That song. He actually wrote that song. And I'm sure many people don't know that. Now, see, the interesting thing about Otis Blackwell is that a lot of songs that he wrote, he would write under a different pen name. And the pen name that he would use was John Davenport. And he used that pen name because he figured it sounded more white. And, uh, and also, when he was having issues with his publishing company, instead of using his name, Otis Blackwell, which he was signed to the publishing company under, he would use the name John Davenport, which allowed him to get out around his contract and still continue to write songs and make money. And he wrote a lot of hits under that name. So if you see the name John Davenport, if you're looking up the song Fever by Peggy Lee, and if it's a song you love and you know, and you see the name John Davenport, that's Otis Blackwell. But uh, he, uh, you know, as mentioned, he wrote, you know, he had a profitable association with Elvis Presley because every song that he wrote, uh, you know, that he wrote that Elvis recorded, you know, he received at least 50 percent or, you know, of the publishing, you know. And if he wrote it, if, if him, Winfield Scott or someone else wrote it as well as Elvis recording it, because Elvis would always negotiate that he get a piece of the publishing royalties if he recorded a song. So it would he would Otis would get a third, you know, so it'd be 
you know, Otis, um, Winfield, uh, Scott, or another, you know, brother that, you know, Otis gave a opportunity to make some money by writing songs with. He always gave jobs to, to you know, to uh, a, a black man, you know, who were songwriters who he knew. You know, they would always split the publishing equally. And it was very profitable because those Elvis songs were, were big hits back in the 50s. But uh, Otis Blackwell was one of the leading, leading African-American figures of early rock and roll. And he was not well known by the public because he mainly did songwriting. But, um, you know, his his records that he recorded himself, he had a few records that he recorded. They never cracked the top 40, but he wrote million selling songs for Jerry Lee Lewis, Lewis D. Clark, Elvis Presley. Um, you know, uh, uh, Peggy Lee, his songs were covered by many well-known artists over the years. And that's how he made his money. That's how he made his money. And he actually said on when he appeared on The Late Night with uh, David Letterman, he actually said that he never met Elvis in, pre- in, um, in person. Um, he actually had a superstition about meeting him in person. So he would never... Uh, he, he, whenever the opportunity came or somebody was trying to introduce him, he would never meet him, you know, just because of his, you know, personal superstition about meeting. I don't know what it was, but as he felt like if he met him, then the magic would be gone. Who knows? But, uh, you know, he, Otis Blackwell composed more than a thousand songs, garnering, garnering worldwide sales of close to 200 million records, which is amazing. You know, he's one of the, you know, most successful songwriters, you know, in both rock and roll and in R&B. He wrote songs that was covered by uh, or sang by Frankie Valli and his group, The Four Seasons. And uh, even as rock and roll began to recede a bit in the 1960s, he recorded Otis Blackwell recorded R&B songs for Atlantic Records, MGM and Epic Records. You know, for for and for other labels as well, numerous labels, and even when he was in semi-retirement, he would make occasional live appearances, where he would perform uh, and tour with his uh, backing band, the Smithereens. Um, in the 1980s, he would perform and in, in, in tour with his backing band, and they would do live shows as well as studio recordings. They had a couple of self-funded albums. Um, Let's talk about us and from the beginning, which was released independently by Otis Blackwell's own record label, his own little imprint record that he record label that he had, um, ROCCO or Rockco. And um, but unfortunately, by 1991, he was paralyzed by a stroke. Um, and uh, but even after that, he was a tribute album was uh, released, um, and. 15 songs it was containing 15 songs that he wrote and recorded and uh it, they were covered by artists such as debbie harry from blondie chris christopherson ronnie Spector, um as well as other well-known artists that we know they all did a tribute album, album to him um unfortunately he died of a heart attack in 2002 in uh, nashville tennessee but um he he was you know, his legacy in, in music lives on. I mean, he was inducted into the Nashville Songwriters Hall of Fame. He was inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame. Um, he was, uh, he, he said his crowning moment came in the late 80s when the Black Rock Coalition, a prominent organization of black rock musicians um, led by Vernon Reed, um, the lead guitarist of the band Living Color, held a tribute for him. At, at the Prospect Park Bandshell in Brooklyn. And since he's from Brooklyn, that was a, a, a moment for him. 
to be celebrated in his hometown by the Black Rock Coalition. And, um, uh, you know, many prominent musicians were there to pay tribute to him. He was also um, posthumously uh, uh, inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in, in 2010. But uh, he's known as one of the greatest rock and roll and R&B songwriters of all time. Um, he's influenced, you know, many songwriters who came after him or even that were contemporaries of his, such as Willie Dixon and Chuck Berry. Um, and as I mentioned before, he would also give jobs to other brothers, you know, who were songwriters. Winfield, Winfield Scott, Eddie Cooley. Um, he would give them, you know, opportunities to, you know, work and, you know, write with him as well. Um, he also was one of the most important innovators who helped to invent the musical vocabulary of rock and roll at its very beginning. Um, he's credited with coming up with an, you know, that Elvis song, All Shook Up, that became a popular term in the 1950s. And, you know, of course, Elvis got the credit, but it was Otis Blackwell who, Otis Blackwell who wrote the song and who, uh, you know, those, those were his words. So, uh, you know, his works have been covered by, you know, Ray Charles, James Brown, Billy Joel, Dolly Parton. Uh, you know, so many, so many names have covered, you know, his music. And he's actually, um, you know, produced music by other um, big artists as well. So, I mean, his work speaks for itself. So we just wanted to highlight him and talk about him because he's not a household name like Elvis Presley is. You know, everybody knows Elvis. White, black, you, we know Elvis and we know that he robbed from, from black people, you know. But to know that his songs were, and to know the, the, the names behind, you know, these hit records that he sang, you know, that, that, that wrote them. You know, Otis Blackwell, a.k.a. John Davenport, you know, Winfield Scott. You know, those are names we need to remember because those are the geniuses behind those lyrics. So we just wanted to highlight him for his contribution to black history, black culture, and music. So Otis Blackwell, we salute you. And that concludes this episode of Everyday Black History. We just wanted to come, you know, and just, you know, talk about, you know, a couple of people and just highlight a couple of people um, as we do on Everyday Black History. So, uh, you know, um, that concludes this episode. Um, hopefully you all will, you know, enjoy your holidays over the next coming over the next coming weeks. Um, you know, uh, we may or may not do an episode depending. Um, so if you don't hear seeing new episodes in the next couple of weeks, we just took a little bit, a little break. But we may we may decide to do something. So, you know, we're on the fence. But whatever the case is, hopefully you enjoy yourself and be safe out there. And, um, you know, if you don't hear from us, we'll see you in 2021. You all take care and stay safe.